Welcome to HACCP Chat with HACCP Mentor, where it's all about helping you make your food business compliance easier. Sit back and relax as we get our food safety, HACCP and quality compliance on with your host, Amanda Evans. Welcome to our first HACCP Chat session. And today I have got a very dear friend of mine, Peter Holtman from Exemplar Global. Hello, Pete. Welcome to HACCP Chat. Hey, Amanda. How are you? I'm good. Just for introductions, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how HACCP and food safety fits into your life? Very good. Thank you. Well, uh, I'm a recovering auditor. It's uh, It's been probably 12 months since my last audit and uh, I, I'm not missing it, to, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was a food safety auditor and I probably did around somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 food safety audits around the world for all different companies in all different countries. Well, you must be pretty old then if you've done that many. Oh, I know. It seems like it. I I feel like I'm 150. (laughs) (laughs) And I I gave all that up to uh, be an advocate for the auditing world and now I'm the president and CEO of Exemplar Global, which is the world's uh, premier certification agency for auditors and other personnel and training uh, programs as well. So go on. So this is where auditors get recognition to be able it, to audit? Is that what you guys do? Yeah, it is actually. So if you're an auditor and you want to get internationally recognized for your knowledge, your skill and your personal attributes and for specializing in a particular field of food safety, then you'd come to us and we would work with you to get your uh, your your skills recognized. Okay, excellent. A lot of the people who are listening to this podcast are, say, food safety and quality assurance managers working in food businesses. And I myself, as you know, have been in audit for the last 20 years. And one of the biggest things that I get back from people, especially through the HACCP Mentor Program, is not so much complaints, but issues around the people who are actually auditing their food businesses for compliance to whatever standard, whether it be a GFSI standard, SQF, BRC, or just some one of the various amounts of retailer standards out there. So I just want to touch today on you know, what makes a good auditor, what should you do as a food safety compliance professional if you don't agree with an auditor's findings during your audit and you know, just also look at what qualifications auditors have to have and, and how we can check those to, to make sure we're getting the best value out of our auditors coming into the food businesses. So tell me um, first, what do you think makes a good auditor? Well, uh, I think you need to have hide as thick as a rhino, you need to be bulletproof, fireproof, not uh, not requiring anything more than two hours sleep a night, and uh, <laughs> and uh, be well and truly uh, committed to the cause of um, of improvement of food quality and food safety. How's that for a start? Well, that's that's a pretty good start. So the auditors are really on the same plane as what food safety quality managers are, because we're all after the same outcome, and that's to make sure that safe foods being produced and served out, distributed around the world. Absolutely. I think most of the food auditors have come out of some food management or food quality assurance discipline anyway. So they're very much tuned into the the daily trials 
and tribulations of a, of a food QA specialist or a, or a management professional. From looking at that, so probably first thing is that you should actually just be considerate to your auditor in knowing that they actually know what you're going through because they've probably been there as well. They know the pressures that come with being a QA manager. Uh, they know the pressures of an audit situation because the majority of auditors have been on the other side where they've actually been the auditee. So they can empathise with you to a degree what you're going through through the audit process. I don't think the auditors are going on site particularly to sort of show one-upmanship or to best your knowledge of your process or even really to find fault. I don't think they're out there to, to make your life difficult, but I do believe they're out there to to protect food safety and to deliver improvements to you through conversations of the outcomes of their findings. I, I really think auditors are there with a genuine want to to assist and to help you improve and it should be treated, the, the feedback you get should be treated in that, in that regard. What I've generally seen as an auditor of how people respond when they don't agree with the cars that you've raised or as auditors have raised. So what's your kind of tips on how to deal or how to respond to, to auditors giving you cars that are either not based on the standard or not within the scope of the audit or are just downright that you feel as a QA manager are downright incorrect? What's kind of like the path that they should take? Sure. Uh, so, And that, this is a, a fairly common occurrence uh, at the end of the day. I've seen this happen a lot uh, and, I've, and I've had a lot of feedback from auditors and auditees uh, about this, about what can we possibly do. I, I guess the first thing, and, and it's, it's no big secret, is you don't actually have to accept the cars that have been written for you. Uh, you need to negotiate on the final position, but you don't actually have to sign off on the cars if you fundamentally disagree with it. The other side of this is you should be discussing with them why they've jumped out of scope of audit or why they've deviated from the standard or, or what's led them to that conclusion. Just as you're accountable for the information you're presenting to them to demonstrate compliance, they're accountable to you to, to demonstrate the, the findings and how they arrived at a particular decision. So the first thing is don't get angry at it and, and don't have an argument about it. That's not going to solve the situation at all. I think you've just got to keep asking questions. Uh, you're auditing the auditor, let's put it that way. You're asking the question why or how until you arrive at uh, a sufficient amount of information to either agree or disagree on the outcome. I agree with you on that one. The only thing that I would say in addition to that is don't make that a game of constantly questioning every single finding unless it's warranted because this I have seen this as a time delay tactic or a the auditor's only got so much time to be on site and if you're going to spend you know half of that time arguing about this that and the other it's going to make for a, a not a very good audit outcome one thing that I always ask when I have my clients being audited and I don't agree with what the auditor says is show me in the standard that we're being audited to where it says I have to do that because I think a lot of people get confused around this whole what's mandatory and what's not mandatory so should shall and or will or must, must yeah. those type of words so that's one thing that I always if you know I clearly don't know if it should be a car or not 
I will say, can you please just show me where in the standard that I have to do that? And if it comes out that it's, it's not a mandatory requirement, well, then you don't accept the car. Simple as that. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, audits are about uh, a partnership. You know, the auditor is there to work with you and you should be there to work with them because that expedites a, a much faster audit process but also something of more value. If you start playing ducks and drakes, hiding information, telling your staff to answer only in yes-no uh, outcomes, you're going to get the type of audit outcome that you're putting into it, which is a very closed-down negative outcome. The more dialogue you're having with your auditor, even uh, at the opening meeting where you're clarifying what's in scope and, and, and what sort of terminology, or even during the process if you're continually seeking feedback from the auditor, you're going to have, it could almost be quite an enjoyable experience where you're working with a, uh, a collegiate partner in industry who shares same sort of information as you and you might actually learn something about the process or the standard while you're going along. Don't turn it into a war. Don't make it a fight. Don't make it an argument and don't make it a negative experience. Your auditors go into a lot of different places and they see a lot of different business processes. Maybe you can learn something different on how to perform better in your own business around that. So, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Looking for a food compliance document, policy, procedure or form? Check out www.haceptemplates.com. Now, tell me, Pete, for our listeners... If it comes to a point where your auditor is just blatantly being incompetent and you don't agree at all with any of the findings, is there some type of recourse that a business can take against an auditor who they believe is not acting in the the best interests of the auditing profession? Yeah, absolutely. And it depends on uh, the type of auditor if they're a self-employed auditor or if they're uh, if they're employed by an agency so for instance if they're coming to you working from one of the large certification bodies then your recourse primarily and, and initially is to go back to the certification body and, and lodge a, a complaint with them make sure you've got your evidence in front of you that it's factual and that the, you if it's a, if it's a, a he said she said type conversation that someone else can corroborate that that evidence with you because otherwise it's very hard for someone to administer a he said she said argument so make sure you got your evidence make sure it's it's factual and that you can present it to the certification body now if that auditor is a contractor or a sole sole agent or just a, a principal auditor then you'd come back to someone like exemplar global and ask for the same course of action which is submitting a, a formal complaint and have the incident investigated. So you just need to make sure working in QA or in a food business that you don't consider an auditor's attributes around conflict that you're having with them, their personality rather than their actual work. If the auditor's being hard but still fair, I don't think that warrants putting a formal complaint in just because you don't like the outcome of the audit. No, that's right. And it's a very rare instance that an auditor is incompetent these days or can't perform the audit. It's from the from the customer complaints that come in to my organization and looking at the history, more often than not it's a it's a matter of personality or personal attributes or 
that the audit closing meeting or the sequence of the audit has deteriorated and then it's turned into a personal battle, in which case it's very, very hard for us or indeed anyone else to mediate the situation. Now, if it, if it does get personal and the auditor uses that against the auditee, then that's something else and that can be investigated. But personality is, is a difficult thing. Now, we've got a code of conduct that's out there and auditors should be abiding by the code of conduct which says they have to act in a professional manner and we can investigate in those terms um, but uh, really disagreeing with an audit outcome is not grounds for for a customer complaint. Okay, so what else is in this audit or code of conduct besides acting professionally which would be given I would expect in any type of business interaction? Sure. Is there any, any other areas that we need to be aware of? Sure. Well, it, it, it tells you to remain impartial, to not be open or, or accepting of any uh, coercion, bribes or uh, incentives for a positive audit outcome. Oh, what? Uh, no bribes? No, no bribes. No. No, <laughs> no sausages from the sausage factory on the way. Oh, did I ever tell you about the first bribe I was ever given as an inspector? Tell me. When I worked with the government? A guy, he's, his inspection didn't go very well. And he offered me like five kilos of prawns. It was a seafood place. Isn't that wonderful? And I just remember saying to him, I don't think the bank's going to accept five kilos of prawns for me um, to pay my mortgage on my house. So if you're going to be serious about trying to bribe me, at least make it worthwhile that I can pay my house off. Yeah, I don't think uh, 150 bucks in prawns is going to solve any real problem. Uh, No, no. And then he finally caught on that I was being quite facetious and he actually laughed and said, okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, if I ate you prawns. 50 kilos of prawns. Yeah. <laughs> if I ate prawns, that would probably be awesome, but <laughs> I don't yeah, even yeah. eat prawns. Anyway, sorry yeah. to interrupt. What else is in this auditor code of conduct? Actually, just on that point, it's interesting because I've had auditors, I've been out witnessing auditors and they've been really concerned about, oh, no, I can't have a cup of coffee and a biscuit. On site because that's uh, that's considered as inducement. Well, it's re- I mean you've got to use your judgment here. If they're offering you a couple of cups of tea during the day, then that's hardly a, a case of um, you know of, of bribing. bribing. Yeah. yeah, but uh, you know we could well, I could talk all day on those sorts of topics. Yeah. <laughs> we might save that for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but the the other one uh, and a very important one is to hold your industry in high regard. And this talks about not rubbishing other auditors, particularly if an auditor's been in before you and you've found something different to them and the customer's saying, well, why didn't the previous auditor pick that up? That doesn't give you permission to go open slather on the previous auditor and it doesn't do anything for the audit industry. There might have been a totally different set of auditing circumstances because, as you know, the audit's only picking up what you're seeing on the day, day. looks at past records, current uh, performance to, to, or current activity to judge future performance. So, it's as much about what's happening on, on the site on the day as, as much as it is about the auditor. So, def- And also definitely the standard. That's what I've found as in, you know, an auditor, another auditor may have been there, but they may have been auditing to a whole separate set of rules to what Absolutely, yeah. and if your auditor is on that day. Yeah, or if they're doing multiple standards on the day, which standards are competing against the other. There's there's a myriad of different reasons, and that's why this clause exists in Code of Conduct, is to hold the industry in high regard. The last thing you want to do is talk down your colleagues because it's talking down you and the whole industry, and then you lack professional standing in that particular case. Mm-hmm. So, so from a QA professional perspective, 
there is going to be differences between auditors. You're not going to get the same audit, say, experience from one auditor to the next auditor because we're all different individuals. But I suppose you've just got to remember as the QA professional or the QA manager working in a food business that a whole lot of other different aspects could have come into play at a previous audit to what's happening in your audit. Yeah, that's that's a critical point. And this really comes down to uh, auditing experience and using your interpersonal skills and negotiating different different outcomes for different audit purposes or different standards at the end of the day. The auditor is an auditing professional, not just someone that's doing tick and flick out there. You've you've got to be on your on your best work every audit that you're yeah. doing. Absolutely. What else have we got in that auditor code of conduct that we should know about as QA professionals? Well, you need to be ethical. So the, the way you arrive at decisions, this is beyond the, the issue of bribing that, but this is how do you arrive at a, at a, at a sound, logical, ethical decision on, on the audit outcomes? You don't, uh, you know, the, the, one of the, the, the unspoken rules out there is you don't tick off the auditor because they're going to give you a bad report. Well, that would be an example of where ethics are being breached, no matter how uh, disgruntled the auditor may feel or getting at the end of the day, they've got to keep it factual, they've got to remain in compliance with the activity that they're there for and they've got to be objective in their findings. So uh, ethical outcomes and ethical decision-making is is essential. And the best way of judging this is would you support the decision you made in a public arena? And that could be against your peers, in a court of law, with your employer, uh, what have you, does your decision stand up and, and will it hold water or has this been a more of an emotional decision that's being made? So this is where we as a QA professional need to make sure that the cars that have been given to us or the decisions have been based on facts and that we have been open enough to provide that information to the auditor during the audit process because I think a lot of the times some auditors may make decisions without getting all of the facts but in saying that, we have to remember we've only got a certain amount of time. So if you've been requested by your auditor for certain information and you want to play the delay game, it may be at the end of the day you end up getting a non-conformance because suitable evidence to support compliance was not forthcoming. So just be aware of that when you are being audited. Absolutely. Look, everyone loves a good story and everyone loves a happy ending, but uh you know, that doesn't happen um, in every case at the end of an audit. And, uh, you know, the, the best stories are based on fact because truth is quite often much stranger than fiction out there. So let's let's make sure that the reports and the outcomes are, uh, are factual and, and based on observed, recorded or spoken events. You are tuned into HACCP Chat with HACCP Mentor. So was there any other, any well, other, the other things in this code of conduct? Well, I guess one of the final points is that the auditor needs to keep their skills current and uh, that they remain in good standing with the auditing community. So whilst they're, they're there to support the community, the best way of doing that is making sure that they're, they're up to date um, on, uh, on current issues, on current standard agreements, on current auditing and auditor trends, which means how do you develop yourself personally and professionally out there and that there's a requirement to, to maintain that, that becoming an auditor is not a once-in-a-lifetime event. It's not you get your ticket and away you go and no one ever looks at you again. You are required as an auditing professional to remain at the peak of your profession. Right, and this is where this is very beneficial 
to a, a food business and QA professionals should be using that to get the latest updates, you know, just through conversation. You can learn a lot from your auditor because they are supposed to be up to date with the latest things that are happening. And again, they do go into other businesses. Whilst they can't reveal exactly what's happening in other businesses, they may point to certain technologies that they've seen in use or certain ways that another business is is implementing a certain procedure, which may be beneficial to your food business. The other question I get asked a fair bit, Pete, is how do I become an auditor? So a lot of these QA managers and QA professionals are doing internal audits within their business. Is there any way to recognise being an internal auditor? Does Exemplar Global have anything around that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, know, I think most people think that uh, auditing is uh, akin to black magic and witchcraft and that you, you've got to join a coven or something to get into it. But uh, Don't you? No, well, I'm sure I bought a black cape and, oh, hang on, no, that was my Superman cape. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, uh, uh, there, there are proven pathways to get into, the, into auditing, including starting at internal auditor, and there are recognition processes and certifications for the internal auditor, and that looks at um, recognising the number of audits, the type of audits, and the, the work experience and training that that auditor has got. And uh, and certifying certifying them and credentialing them accordingly. So if you're an internal auditor, even if so, that's what we call a first party auditor, which is an internal auditor. If you're the company's supplier auditor or a second party auditor, then there's processes for you to be certified as well. And if you want to migrate out into the big bad world and become a certification or compliance auditor, which is third party auditor then there's processes out there for that as well. And there's certifications that guide you all the way through this career pathway. And a lot of people think, oh, you've got to have a lot of auditing experience to become a certified auditor. Well, you know, that's one of the older ways, the more traditional ways of doing things. The fact is competency-based auditor certification relies on your uh, ability to deploy your auditing skills in the front of a, a witness auditor or a, what we call a skills auditor. And that can um, uh, supersede or accelerate your certification process that doesn't rely on uh, 100 audit hours or, or the like. So there are ways of moving through this and we are always looking for food auditors to come into the industry because, it's, let's face it, it's a dying breed. Most of the auditors in the next five to eight years will retire, leaving a, a, a definite skills shortage in our industry. So... Uh, this is something that you should be engaging with your auditor when you come on site and ask them how they became an auditor or what. how do they know. And failing all that, you come to Exemplar Global and we'll uh, guide you through it step by step. Excellent. So I do see a lot more, as you're talking about second-party audits, happening where a QA manager will go and audit one of their suppliers as part of their approved supply program. But whether that person is actually skilled enough to do that audit is another thing. So I think by having that Exemplar Global internal auditor or second party auditor certification, it just it just gives you a little bit more street cred because if you were coming into my business as an auditor to audit my process and you're one of my customers, I'm going to be asking you, well, what makes you in a position to even come in and, and audit what we're doing here? You know, have you just come here for a for a visit, for, you know, fill in a couple of hours or are you actually going to give me some decent value back where I can help him, it will help improve my particular business? 
Yeah, this is a really interesting topic. We could spend a whole other podcast just oh. talking about the value of second-party audits, to be honest. Oh, we're going to have some time together, Pete. Yeah. Some time together. <laughs> Therapy. There will be. There will be. We've touched on a few good points in this particular talk, just around how to deal with a difficult auditor, what makes a good auditor, looking at how a code of conduct for auditors, auditors keeping up to date through continuing professional development. Is there anything else that you think would be of value to our HACCP mentor listeners around dealing with difficult auditors during their own audit process? Just to wrap things up, anything else? Uh, I think you should consider that auditors aren't coming on site to be difficult, that they're there to help, and that if the conversation gets difficult, that maybe it's more a reflection of uh, current practice or maybe there's an opportunity to explain your process more to the auditor so that you arrive at a, um, at an agreed outcome. So let's not treat the audit, the audit process as combative, but it's definitely there as, as a, a learning experience and demonstration of, of your good work. So if any of our listeners want to get more information on dealing with auditors or even how they can become an auditor, where's the best place to find you guys? www.exemplarglobal.org. Well, thanks very much, Pete, for joining us today on our first episode of HACCP Chat. And I look forward to catching up with you in, obviously, the 30,000 other podcasts we're going to do because we've got a lot to talk about. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Amanda. Thanks, Pete. You've been listening to HACCP Chat with HACCP Mentor. For all your food business, HACCP, quality and food safety compliance tools, check out our website at www.hacapmentor.com. You can also find all the links and resources mentioned in the show notes to this episode.